Microphone check. One, two, three. City, city, sibilance, sibilance. Levels check. Good. Sounds good. One, two, three. Rolling and. If you are by yourself and you have to shoot and you have to direct and you have to edit, you're looking for that impartiality. So this, you don't need another editor to do that because editors cost a lot of money, certainly good ones. You can cut a scene and you can get someone to view it, someone you trust, someone who's good with narrative, and you can get that impartiality. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I'm your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 119. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life Podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Over the past five weeks, I've been head down and completely immersed in the edit of our current doc film. It's probably the most amount of consecutive days that, to this point, I've been able to dedicate to strictly editing on the film. Of course, I've had to do episodes for the podcast and all that comes with that, but other than this, it's been all about editing, editing, editing. Which, of course, makes me even happier that we'll be welcoming veteran UK film and TV editor Patty Bird back to the program when we get to our industry conversation segment. I'm an editor by trade, and so I'm always eager to have a bit of conversation on the topic. In fact, I thought as a precursor to our conversation with Patty, I thought that I might take a moment and share some of my own editing tips with you. You see, recently I've been getting some emails asking for a segment on best practices for starting on an edit. And you know what? I totally get that. The beginning of an edit is always the most daunting part. You're essentially taking sometimes over 100 hours of footage. The first feature doc I ever edited was over 240 hours of footage. And you're attempting to distill this down to a 60-minute program for TV or 90 minutes for a feature doc. Even on Journey to Kathmandu, which was only a 35-minute film, I had to go through 30-plus hours of footage. So having a few tips on getting started on the edit of your doc seemed like a good idea for today's show. So with that, let's get started on five tips to start editing your doc. Number one, set up your infrastructure as soon as possible. The infrastructure of your edit begins in the infrastructure of your drive. Firstly, make sure you have a drive that is only dedicated to your film. That means no other work or films or anything else goes on that drive. The drive is your film. In fact, you should probably name your drive the working title for your film. From there, make folders for all of the major components to an edit, like footage, audio, graphics. And within these folders, you'll have subfolders like, for instance, in audio, you might have raw audio files, music sources, sound effects. These subfolders can be determined later on. Just know that you'll be very intentional with the types of subfolders that will eventually be going into the top level folders. Once you start importing files into your edit, you'll want to try and keep the exact name and structure of your drive within the edit. I try and mirror the drive infrastructure with my edit's infrastructure. 
Now, I know that some people like to start changing names of clips to what the clip actually is, you know, as opposed to the numbering system that your camera generates, but I've always found this a bit dangerous, or at the very least, a bit messy. Especially if for whatever reason you're editing software, it loses the link, right? It, it, and you have to try and reconnect to the files on your drive. Sometimes I like to know what footage is in the bin without having to open up the bin and sift through clips. Having to do this constantly, it gets old and tedious very quickly. So because I always order my footage on my drive in folders with dates, I'll do the same in my edit, but then I'll also add a few words that best describe, you know, what's in those folders, what I shot that day. That way, you know, I can instantly know exactly what footage in the edit corresponds with footage on my drive, but I can also know roughly what I shot that day. Believe me when I say to you that having some basic infrastructure intact from the beginning, it will save you countless hours searching for things like clips, songs, or titling. It is worth the time to set this up correctly and at the outset of your edit. Number two, separate out interviews. The first thing I'd recommend doing after setting up your infrastructure is getting all of your interviews together. If you need to be syncing up any video with audio files, this is the time to do it. Create separate sequences for each interview. Label that sequence with the interviewee's first and last name. Date it if you have more than one interview with the same person. Nine out of 10 times, the first footage you're going to be familiarizing or maybe re-familiarizing yourself with are the interviews for your doc. This is where the majority of your storytelling, at least the foundational elements to your story, are going to be found. So it's important you give these interviews that level of importance. Make a bin labeled interviews, and then go through all of your interviews, create these separate timelines, and place these all into the interviews bin. By doing this, you'll be able to quickly access any and all interviews as soon as you need them. Number three, make transcripts. Something that will be very helpful to you is if you make transcripts of all of these interviews. This used to be an incredibly painstaking process that you or an assistant editor might have to do. It's actually a very practical Walter Murch type of way of, of getting into an edit, truly immersing yourself in each and every word. But nowadays, we're shooting way more footage than most doc filmmakers did, so it's really not practical to be transcribing all of our footage ourselves. Thankfully, there are some pretty cheap and quick online companies that will do transcription for you. I've had success recently with a company called Teamy. Trint is another company that I've heard makes good searchable, editable transcripts. Rev is another one. A simple Google search will find you some to choose from. I know that people mention transcription services on the Documentary Life Community Facebook group often. You want transcripts because it makes cutting down massive amounts of interviews happen rather quickly. Reading through and taking a highlighter to your transcripts will allow you to efficiently start pulling sound bites that you may want to use in your film. And another great thing about transcripts is that it makes your edit super searchable. So say you need a better version of your subject saying the word bird. You can quickly find other instances in your interview where your subject has said this by a simple find command, whether you're using Google Docs or MS Word or Pages, whatever you might be using for your transcripts. Transcripts are essential, so don't hesitate to get them done as soon as you can. Number four, make a timeline with all of your B-roll. This is actually a pretty fun exercise, putting all of your B-roll onto one timeline. Why on earth would anyone do this, you ask? Because it means all of your B-roll can be found in one place, on one timeline, 
that you can actually quickly scrub through instead of having to go into each folder on a shoot day and try and locate B-roll clips from each card from that day. Again, this can be a very, very time-consuming thing going through all of these bins and folders and cards looking for B-roll. Yes, it's true you will at least be able to specifically find B-roll from a certain day of a shoot, but you can do this anyway, right, if you really need to. But having a single timeline with all of your shoots B-roll allows you to quickly access B-roll whenever you might need something, which, once an edit gets going, is like all of the time. And lastly, number five, don't get overwhelmed. The easiest thing in the world is to get overwhelmed by the sheer task of going through hours of footage and trying to make sense of it all enough to be able to start putting things into a timeline, which in itself, this may be the biggest reason for setting up the infrastructure to your edit early on and setting it up correctly so you can minimize the feeling of being overwhelmed by the idea of starting an edit. But the truth of it is, you've already started your edit. The minute you started shooting, actually even before you were shooting, you were editing the film in your mind. Most likely, you had an idea before production and post-production on some kind of story that you wanted to tell, and that would then be reflected in all of your production that happens before you actually edit, right? So remember that when you sit down to do your edit, that you've actually in many ways been editing in your mind since quite possibly you came up even with the idea for your doc film. And also remember that no edit happens overnight. This is a process. It takes time. Actually, the majority of the time on a project is spent on the post-production aspect. So just know this and embrace this. And also be comforted in the knowledge that every single one of us has been faced with the same exact blank project file. And that that blank project file will quickly be filled up with all sorts of bins and clips and sequences, hopefully in a decent infrastructure, mind you, and eventually that one day it will contain a whole cut of your documentary film. It's true. I do not lie about this, Doc Lifer. I hope that these five tips to start editing your doc were helpful. And if you've got some of your own, and I'll bet you do, feel free to share them either in the community Facebook group or you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, which can be found by going to thedocumentarylife.com. All right, Doc Lifer, as I alluded to earlier, next up on the show, we're going to have another conversation with one of the Documentary Life's most popular guests who will again be speaking about one of the show's most popular topics. My conversation with editing extraordinaire Patty Bird is coming up next, here on The Documentary Life. Like most filmmakers, when we start a new film, one of the first things we're thinking about is, how are we going to raise the money we need to make the film happen? And it isn't really until we get clear about this that we can begin focusing on what we really want to, the making of our doc film. We're sure you know this feeling very well yourself. One of the ways that we've found to raise significant funds over the last handful of years has been to run strategic and effective crowdfunding campaigns, effective to the tune of $32,000 raised, the building of a connected and engaged audience, and obtaining many other items of information, resources, and contacts previously unknown to us. The advantages have been huge for us in every campaign we've run. Are you thinking of raising money for your doc via a crowdfunding campaign? 
If so, we can definitely help you make it a success. We can help you raise your funding goal and quite possibly more. And we can also help you build that all-important audience for your doc film. Enrollment is now open for our crowdfunding for your documentary program, a step-by-step breakdown of how to run a successful crowdfunding campaign using our very own detailed content calendar, email templates, social media posts, and campaign resources that we used on our own successful campaigns. In addition, we're also inviting enrollees to be part of several live coaching calls, live Q&A sessions, and a private community group so every filmmaker can ask us directly the questions they need to ensure their own successful campaigns. If this sounds like just what you've been looking for, then head straight over to thedocumentarylife.com courses and enroll today. Patty Bird is one of television's most prolific and accomplished editors. For the past 15 years, he has edited dozens of primetime documentary, entertainment, and reality TV shows for British and American television. Patty has worked on multiple seasons of many of the world's most renowned format shows, including X Factor, Big Brother, Wife Swap, and Secret Millionaire, while at the same time editing numerous high-end political, historical, and observational documentaries. He He has worked for broadcasters such as the BBC, Channel 4, ITV, Discovery Channel in the U.S., Nat Geo, PBS, the Smithsonian Channel, ABC, and the CBC in Canada. He is a voting member of the prestigious BAFTA editing chapter and has spent many years teaching Final Cut Pro and Avid at Soho Editors, Europe's largest post-production training center. He has taught hundreds of producers, directors, cameramen, video engineers, and professional editors from production companies and broadcasters around the world. Patty Bird has also been on the show previously in season one. Patty, I think it was number 48, episode 48, about halfway through our first season. Welcome back to The Documentary Life. It's been a while since we've spoken. I'm looking forward to catching up with you. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be back. Uh, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to having a chat and uh, catching up. Absolutely. It was actually, now that I'm looking back, it was indeed episode number 48, and it happened to be at the time one of our more popular episodes. I think, and I know this now, of course, now that we've been doing the podcast three and a half years in, doc filmmakers like to talk and relate about many aspects of doc filmmaking. And here on the show, we also, of course, talk about the lifestyle aspects associated with living the life of a creative, in our our case, doc filmmakers. But in particular, doc filmmakers really enjoy talking about editing and storytelling. So that all being said, welcome back to the program. As a refresher, let's talk a little bit about Inside the Edit and how this happened for you, I think at this point, maybe seven-ish years ago. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I was, I, was, uh, I was cutting for about 15, 20 years. I took some time off because uh, I had a bit of burnout on complicated documentaries, um, I was having I was having timeline dreams, which is oh, never God. a good <laughs> never a good place to be. And it's like maybe you need to stop looking at some timelines. Yeah. And then my agent said, "Why don't you Why don't you teach some stuff?" 
So uh, I started teaching software and I started looking around and go, wow, it's like no one's really teaching the craft. Yeah, right. And then I started investigating and seeing that, um, you know, all the, the couple of hundred things that me and, uh, you know, all my peers and all pro editors do were kind of self-taught, which was a weird kind of situation. Yeah. So I came up with the idea of basically writing a very, very in-depth course about the craft and knowing that, you know, there's a sea, an absolute ocean of technical training out there. Mm. Um, and none of it actually teaches you how to tell a story, yeah, right. how to move, move an audience to tears or mm. how to elicit all these emotions and how to work with difficult footage and all these stylizational aspects of the, that we do every single day in, in edit suites, no matter what genre we're cutting, whether it's drama or doc or reality or mm. corporates or whatever, you know, there's, there's, there's hundreds of techniques and stylization principles and structural principles that I had never really seen anywhere. And I thought it was about time, considering that over the last 10, 15 years, we've seen this democratization of, of technology, which is great. When I started, an Avid was 100 grand, and it was open to a very few amount of people. Yeah. So I thought it's about time someone democratized the craft mm. now that you can get a piece of editing software for free or 20 bucks a month. Yeah, right. So that was the kind of motivation around it, really, um, to kind of democratize all these artistic concepts, which didn't really have a name and, um, you know, allow people to really, really take their films to a next level because with edit, if, you, if, you, if you don't have a good editor or you're not good at editing, you can shoot the most beautiful footage and it will look average. Mm. You know, editing is the center of all filmmaking. It's the, the sum and the result of all the hard work with all those talented people. So if it's not edited well, you know, good editors can take beautiful footage and they can make it beautiful, but they can also take bad footage or footage with particular holes in it or stuff that wasn't wasn't got on the day or whatever you know and uh, and make it really beautiful so um i wanted to kind of hand that over to the next generation uh and also do it in a really kind of inspiring way so that was that was that was the story of inside the edit really are there some updates that we should be aware of in the past year or two that uh, you're excited to share with people Oh, yeah. So we're just about to launch uh, our, our, our new site in the next, uh, I think it's the next week or two, Fantastic. which is a completely new look and feel. Yeah, it's really, really, we've been working very hard on it over the summer with a ton more content. We're, uh, we've actually just had um, our master's degree uh, sanctioned by a major UK film school, wow. which will be completely online. So all our all our members can can actually get a master's degree in creative editing wherever they are in the world, which is a kind of world first. And you know you'll be uh, it's a inside the edit forms the basis of that of the course, but you know you'll be talking and uh, being part of a, a community, having lectures from me and from film uh, from the film school lecturers doing special masterclasses and most importantly being graded and given feedback on your cuts mm. as you grow over that year or two years, whether you do full-time or part-time and get that kind of relationship that you would have in the working environment. We're going to replicate the pro working environment wow. and kind of take what usually takes about 10 years to learn. We're going to compress that all down into a year to two years. It's going to be the most 
you know, comprehensive and intense uh, in a beautiful way uh, and rewarding uh, educational experience in the editing world. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's loads of really cool stuff happening and we've got loads of new content uh, appearing on the site as well. We're halfway through our scoring tutorials, um, which have proved incredibly popular wow. um, because I've never seen anything that breaks down how you actually score a documentary or a, or anything like that. So we've gone into tremendous detail. We've got like 20, 25 tutorials just on scoring. Patty, let's talk a little bit about some specifics of editing. And part of our conversation is going to be directly inspired by, we put a post up recently uh, in our community Facebook group. And Inside the Ed has been pretty popular with listeners of our program. So some of these are directly inspired by questions that our listeners had. And so I guess what I'd like to start out with is let's talk a little bit, Patty, about workflow. So we're going to talk about the very early process of maybe setting up an edit and moving forward with an edit. I'd say in this case, we'll use a documentary feature as an example. Why is workflow such a critical component to our editing? And what are some common mistakes first-time doc editors might make in their workflows? Mm, uh, Yeah, that's a really good question. Workflow... I think you could probably branch it out into some further themes around structure, organization in the early days. Yeah. And that's, I would say that's critical. Some of the big problems that I see with, you know, uh, editors new to the craft is they finish shooting and they just start cutting. Yeah. And you have to have a kind of macro look before you approach because you've got the complete whole, which is a film. You've got specific acts you've got a start you've got a middle you've got an end and each scene has a start and middle and and an end Mm. and all of those things i find that the more i if i'm working on something long form like a like a doc feature you know 90 or two hour Mm. um the more i think about the narrative beforehand Mm. uh and organize based on that narrative with chats with the director, the producer, or if it's just me, if I've just shot it, you know, I've got that constantly in my mind anyway. And I will start writing out intentions and narrative points throughout because, you know, we're designing a kind of emotional and narrative roller coaster over 30, 60, 90, two hours. So I will look at what points I'm going to be eliciting certain emotions, at what points I'm going to be unpacking the story, where these stories intertwine, where the payoff is, where I set things up and I pay something off. I would think in a very sort of broad way before I, before I even start cutting. And I will let the I I will let the organization of the footage reflect what's going on in the script. Mm. So I'll start bunching it together in terms of like acts. It could be themes, storylines, characters, who's going to talk about what. Um, These are all the kind of things that I will look through for a a good couple of days before I start. So all of this, as we know, changes as we start getting into it. Well, Um, I'm going to stop you there just for one one minute, Patty, because you're referencing (laughs) you're referencing script here. Right. And so that's going to be appropriate, certainly for feature narratives. In our case, doc filmmakers don't often maybe have a script. Right. 
unless you're recommending, look, you need to have a paper edit. You need to have a paper cut before you start cutting. So is there a way to direct that part of the conversation or the, this workflow part of the conversation specifically to doc filmmakers who aren't operating with a script, we'll say? There's all kinds of docs. I mean, if you're an yeah. ob doc, then no, you wouldn't have a script. But if you're doing like a complicated science documentary that yeah. is telling a historical perspective, then you would have a script. Right, right. You would have a, more of a script outline and you would have the director, if you're working with a director, who would have gone through and done a rough approximation mm. of the narrative. Mm. It wouldn't be in any great detail. It wouldn't be in any kind of like fine, this follows, this follows, this. It would it would have a rough idea okay. about that. So there's, you know, docs, you know, there's tons of different sub-genres. But in terms of like if, it, if we're doing something like an op doc and you're shooting in... Uh, over a long period of time and you're intercutting interviews with actuality and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I would be blocking them out. One of my favorite things I would do is when I start looking at the footage and start looking at the, you know, even in an op doc, you got an idea of there's something where you're going to start and there's something you're going to end. You're going to tell a story. You may not be a very detailed narrative about how you're going to, how you're going to intertwine cleverly that story, whether it's going to have dual narratives or whatever, stuff like that. But yeah. you will have an idea yeah. about the main blocks of where the audience is going to go. You're going to say X at X point. Mm. So I I tend to, what I used to do a lot, actually, and I, I, I still love doing, is putting titles on the timeline. The first thing I would do after uh, yeah. I've had these chats and go, right, this is the intro. This, this is this is this is Act One. This is Act Two. This is Act Three. And get a kind of visual breaking down, and then start piecing together this this breaking down and workflow and ideas into a timeline of blocks. Because yeah. then my mind starts to see structure in something. Now all these blocks may change. Some of them may stick. Some of them may expand. Some of them may get deleted. Yeah. But essentially, what I'm preparing my mind for is the idea that I'm taking myself first because as an editor i'm the first audience on a journey mm. and these are the main component parts of what's going to happen but yeah as you say it, all, it could all end there may not be a script mm. uh, but i do know the rough approximation of what's going to happen and once yeah. i've got that on the timeline what i can then do is experiment with different ways to tell the story so maybe this is not a linear story maybe this is a split narrative and i take two particular things and I start intercutting them and looking for jump off points between each narrative. So it's like, I think Napoleon or someone said it first, or he, he was talking about war, but he said, you know, to have a battle plan is a complete waste of time. But if you don't have one, you're screwed. <laughs> right. so it's like that kind of thing. Like just have the plan, even if the plan gets completely yeah. thrown in the bin, because yeah, you don't yeah, yeah. know what you haven't got. So until you know what is not working, you, um, you kind of don't know what's, what's going to work. What exactly needs to be covered in conversations with the decision makers, maybe before you start on an edit? I mean, the initial conversations I would have with any doc director mm would be around, first of all, they'll tell me the story. So it would be the elevator pitch. Hey, there's this thing that happened and it's so amazing because of X, Y, Z and it'll yeah. be really exciting and this is the journey we're going to take on. And so I'll go, mm, okay, that sounds interesting. My general thing in documentaries always was if I don't know the subject, then I'm intrigued. I'm like, wow, I want to know about this. Yeah, right. And that's what documentaries are so great for. It's like doing a, a degree in a subject you know nothing about. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> 
it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful way to, to learn as well as, as to create art. Yeah. But the initial conversations when you've taken the job and you're actually in the in the edit suite, you know, those first couple of hours on the Monday morning is usually around, okay, so, right, this is how much footage we've got, what we've do done you have? this. Yeah, yeah. What do you have? Um, who are the main characters? What points? So we read through the script together mm. if there was a script, yeah. if it's not based on, you know, if it's, if it's like an old doc or something like that. You know, what are the good points? Where are we leading up to? Where are we going to start? Where do we want the emotions to uh, the emotional uh, mindset of the audience throughout the kind of film? Um, you know, it's these initial kind of tweaks and in investigations as to where the power points are, where the kind of emotional points are, where you may have condensements in, a, in the story. So you, you could be telling one scene, maybe be telling the story about something, and it could happen in near real time. But the next scene could be a, could be a compression of eight years of history. Oh, right. And how are you going to tell that? Yeah. You know? So, you know, you, you can tell that in a couple of lines of voiceover and some music and some archive or something like that, if it was that kind of doc. Or... You, um, you know, you could do it in another way, which was, you know, I'm going to show it in a character can tell the story in a condensement of sync that we put down to, to, you know, 90 seconds or, or, you know, so that's a kind of low to medium level of investigation, but it all comes down to one sheer point, which is the director's been sitting on this or with this you know, the showrunner, director, whatever you want to call them, wherever you are in the world, you know, they've been sitting on this for months. They've probably, you know, may have read a load of books or done a load of interviews pre with the characters, pre kind of filming. And then they've gone through the production process and, and then they've come and they've confident they've got everything. And it, this may take years as well. Like, you know, some, some docs take many years to, to film. So the, the key thing about it is, is all geared towards in those first few conversations is I'm trying to get as much out of where the director is is thinking mm. on how this is going to be structured and getting to know all the characters, what good happened, what bad happened, if there's any really beautiful dramatic moments, like the amount of times I've sat first day in an edit suite and I'm and the director's got really excited, got, oh, watch this here. It's on, you know, disc. 48 this is where someone cries or this is where we doorstep to politician or whatever it was and this is the you know these are the key kind of like wow you know that's the stuff that's going to be really cool but yeah so but the, it's all geared towards getting to know the story the narrative the footage the characters as quickly as possible so you can start having an input in structure in narrative in different ideas and how to play the story for the audience so, Patty, more and more doc filmmakers these days are becoming editors of their own work, it seems like. And I'm curious, I'd love to hear from you, how do you think this is helping them become better directors or better DOPs or better filmmakers? You know, there's a cliche in film and TV, editors make the best directors. You it's bet, simple yeah. as that. <laughs> Certainly the, some of the greatest um, directors of the of the last 50 years all started off as editors mm. because no other art form, we are the summation of everything. The camera, the script, the directing, the producing, the art direction, if there is any, the, everything goes through us and we get to work out, we get to see, uh, you know, after you've watched couple of hundred thousand hours of raw footage 
as an editor, <laughs> or even if you just watch 10,000, you get to know what's good camera work and what's what, bad what camera What works work. and what doesn't. <laughs> what doesn't. This whole hour they shot afterwards, it's like, that's pointless. That, we, we got it already. Like You didn't need to shoot any of that kind of stuff. But also, you know, what's good interview technique? You're sitting there watching an interview with someone. You're like, mm, I wouldn't have said that there. Absolutely. I would do this. Would oh, that. yeah. So, <laughs> why the hell yeah. didn't you? Why didn't you give why like the perfect follow up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So as an editor, you're getting the privilege to watch everyone's work and grade it and categorize it and fix it. But also the... The side effect of that is actually you're becoming a really good cinematographer yeah. and you're becoming a really good director, right. like uh, uh, by by itself, like completely uh, as a side effect. So you can do you can do a couple of years of editing, and because you know instinctively when to cut wide, when to shoot, when the camera operator is is should have panned left for that reaction or did this or whatever or shouldn't have split the shot into thirds at that point they should have done this you get to basically grade that so when you actually comes time to pick up a camera or start directing all of those things become instinctual they become reflexive so i would go so far as to say you know if you really want a revolution in in film education you don't go and study directing you don't go and study cinematography unless you want to become a high-end like film cinematographer sure. if you want to be a doc maker you study editing first. You study editing first because then you get to know form, you get to know structure, you get to know good camera work, bad camera work. You get to know when to turn the camera off. Your shooting ratios go from 200 to yeah. 1 down to about <laughs> right. You save money. So the knock-on effects are just enormous. So any, I would, I would advise – I did 15 years of editing before mm. I went and directed mm. and – when I went and edited, when I went and directed, I think I may have told the story on the last podcast. I'm not sure, but mm. uh, the first day I was on a big prime time show. My first directing, mm. um, it was a big, it's like a 10 million viewing figure show for Channel Four, mm. and I did the first day's shoot. And the cameraman at lunchtime came up to me and said, "You used to be an editor." And I was like, oh, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> we would have, you know, we, you could tell, you know, that he was asking me. Should we go and do the reverse angle of that? I'm just sitting there going, no, nope, we don't need it. That. Nope, don't need it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> shooting ratios go down and down and down and down because you hone in on what is essential, yeah. not the problem with, with you know, in the old days in film, it, it cost a huge amount of money to turn over a camera. Right, right. Right, turn it over. You're spending money. As soon as that film camera starts whirring, you are spending money. Yeah. It doesn't happen like that in today's digital world. So people are shooting and shooting and shooting. And the the emphasis is to get as much footage as possible and then we'll figure it out in post. And story suffers. Yeah. The film could have been a lot better if someone who was driving the narrative, driving the direction was trained in editing in the summation of any kind of moving image yeah film you know it's it's i i say it's essential it's it's the key art form that makes sense of all the other art forms hey. but then i would say that because i'm an <laughs> hey, amen, brother. I come from an editing background. I'm with you 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. People often say that you shouldn't edit your own films. But the thing is, realistically, 
and this this I think that this encompasses a large part of our audience. Micro budget filmmakers may not have the resources right to hire out their own editor, so so they end up taking on the edits themselves. What are some tips that you might have for the one person or the one man band editor working on their own films? Well, first of all, I, I I would like to point out my my thoughts on this, and my thoughts are I have never believed in that. <laughs> I've never believed. I just I'm sorry. I've I've directed and edited lots of different projects, and I just don't believe in it. I do understand the theory behind it in that you think that actually you're going to be overly cutting or undershoot, which is quite rare. That's right. a main. That's a often complain uh complaint that that certainly broadcasters have that like okay you're under shooting and you've got no leeway if we want to change something <laughs> um but then you don't have that impartiality because you're emotionally tied to the to the content that's right i think if you're trained if you are training your mind to do that from the outset yeah. and giving yourself options and being impartial which is it's more of a mindset then I don't think you run into those problems. Mm. There are tips and tricks that you can do to, around that. And this is what we teach in inside the edit. Like mm. if you are by yourself and you have to shoot and you have to direct and you have to edit, you're looking for that impartiality. So this, you don't need another editor to do that because mm. editors cost a lot of money, certainly good ones. Mm. You can get someone else. Who so you can cut a scene and you can get someone to view it. Someone, maybe someone you trust, someone who's good with narrative, or um, and you can get that impartiality. And the key thing in all of this kind of stuff is don't load anything, don't frame or create any kind of presupposition in their mind and say, "Well, I'm going to show you the sequence." I had some problems with X, Y, Z. See what you think, because then you then you know it's like first impressions are like butterfly wings. You mm. touch them, they never get off the ground again. You need that first. Um, uh, impartiality mm. um, so you sit there and go what do you think we instinctively watch so much stuff like everyone does mm. like the amount of like content that we watch whether it's high end or low end or youtube or big docs or whatever the human mind is instinctive and knows if they're confused or not because you can write you, if you have a certain set of issues that you have with something you can write those down as questions afterwards. Like you don't preload the mind of the viewer, yeah. your friend. I mean, I used to show stuff to my mother who is nothing. She doesn't know anything about filmmaking, yeah. but I always picture her. Would she understand this? Mm -hmm. uh, and so you can, you can actually show someone a scene or a film or whatever, and they'll know that they'll say, you know, if you think it drags in the second act or if it's too long in certain parts, you can ask that afterwards, but only until you get their first impression. What do you think about this? Yeah. And it's kind of an interview technique, a good interview technique uh, for a documentary, for a director will, will be based around the order and the impact that each one of these questions will have. And you can apply the same to getting that kind of feedback from someone um, that does get over that impartiality thing, that gets over that um, issue. And I found it works many, many times. I, I often find working, you know, having spent 20 years in post-production houses in Soho and, and New York and LA and stuff like that, that usually the person who's the edit assistant, who's there to, you know, do all the kind of techie stuff and, and very kindly make you some toast or get you a, get you a flat white. <laughs> They're usually an avid 
filmmaker, you know, aspiring filmmaker, aspiring editor, aspiring cinematographer, whatever, doc maker, I usually would, because they're an audience, but they're also a trained audience, in, obviously not trained as in they're working professionals, but they're trying to get into it and their mind is uh, around around filmmaking. Yeah. Say, what do you think of this? And they'll like it because, you know, not a lot of people do that um, <laughs> and just ask, ask them questions. And, and the effects that, that I've had, I've done that. Someone did that to me 25 years ago and I was like, oh, yeah. Thanks, man. That's really cool. Absolutely. Right. Thanks for asking me my opinion on something. (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, they're, you know, you you treat them as as equals and and, uh, professional, you know, aspiring filmmakers. And what did you think? What what, did you think this? And they they may give you some candid answers. They may get a bit nervous and go, oh, well, you know, um, they may answer. (laughs) Yes. You know, it's not, I don't want it to be great. I want you to tell me what's wrong with it. Um, so yeah, there, there is that kind of, there is that thing that to get out of jail, but, um, you know, I, I've always edited my own footage. I don't see it as a problem. I have a kind of mindset whenever I stop working on a scene and then go back to the first frame and press play, I kind of reset my mind and yeah. pretend it's not me watching it. Yeah. And I pretend it's my mum or someone who's not trained in film and we go, what are they going to think? And something vicariously happens to you. We all know this. Like you watch the film 25 times when like, I remember, uh, you know, uh, I, I, when I first started uh, dating someone, and you've watched all these films for years. Like, you know, I couldn't believe this 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 lovely girl I was dating hadn't seen Godfather Two. <laughs> right. And I'm like, wow, that's like a crime. To what do you mean you haven't seen the conversation? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So then you watch it again with them, or you watch one of your own films, and something happens to the human mind yeah. when you vicariously watch it again through another person's eyes. You, you get more critical about. I've watched and cut something many many times and go yeah this is perfect then i've shown it to someone (laughs) and then that little ultra critical thing goes and i'm watching it i'm watching their reactions i'm looking at their reflection in this monitor i'm not watching them (laughs) i'm pretending i'm watching them and um i can see that they're tapping their fingers i'm watching their body language they may going you know they may sigh heavily at a certain point yeah yeah this is that 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 scene there in the middle that's just that doesn't need to be there it's too much <laughs> so there's loads of little tricks you can do um well i wouldn't call them tricks but you know principles and um concepts you can apply for the, for if you're in a situation where you, you just can't afford an editor or you know you, you're you're all by yourself and you're doing something it's it's not as dark as everyone says like you can never edit your own footage right. that's you know We've been speaking uh, rather candidly, I might say, with Patty Bird of Inside the Edit. Patty, how can we learn more about Inside the Edit? Yeah, you can go just look us up on the net, insidetheedit.com. We've got a load of promo videos and tutorials, and it's a very clear mapped out course on the site about what you're gonna what you're gonna learn, the skills and techniques, and where you're gonna be as a filmmaker after you finish the course after you after you've engaged with inside the edit and started practicing all these principles we wanted to make it as simple as possible it's a complex art form so we make it incredibly simple you download the footage you download the music you watch a tutorial you take a creative task 
and you practice it with the footage or you can practice it with your own footage and you will very quickly see the massive impact that it will have on your visual storytelling abilities by by going through the course but you can just what we, what we've done is we you can you can uh, go to inside the edit and and just check out you can sign up for free and get a bunch of tutorials for free the first two chapters which is about 10 tutorials and just see if it if it you know if it works for you if it if it makes sense to you if you like it and um you can have a free trial and and um if it works you can carry on with the course so we try to make it as easy as possible just go to insidetheedit.com and sign up for free and um start going on that you know that beautiful creative journey i truly can say that i've never seen anything like what you guys are doing with inside the edit and having uh you know editing an editor of my own documentaries and editing was my freelancing bread and butter for many years uh, I truly have an appreciation for uh, so much of what we've talked about, certainly in, in, in today's conversation, going back to, you know, our prior episode and, uh, and, and anything that I've seen from inside the edit. And this also, uh, I should say that we've heard from a number of people who went on and signed up for inside the edit and they had nothing but good things to say about it as well. So I truly can't speak highly enough for all of the efforts that you've put into this that, and, and, and how much it continues to grow today. And of course, we're going to have, um, we'll have links proper, we'll have appropriate links for Inside the Edit, certainly up in, in the show notes for today's episode. So Patty, again, a tremendous conversation loaded with all kinds of great post-production insight. You speak very openly and candidly about editing and storytelling, and you speak in a language that so many of our doc filmmakers can really, really relate to. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I love what you're doing with Inside the Edit. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on the program again in the future. Thanks again for coming on to the Documentary Life, Patty. Great conversation. Fantastic. Many thanks, Chris. I really appreciate the invite. It's been great chatting with you. A quick reminder that if you're interested in running a crowdfund campaign for your doc film, we've got everything that you will need to make it a successful campaign in our new crowdfunding for your documentary film program. Just head on over to thedocumentarylife.com courses. See you next time, Doc Lifer. Doc Lifer.